over a year or more now. Thank you for communicating with us. We, we cherish that when, when you do that. And we love you very much. And as I say every Sunday, we pray for you constantly. And you are in our minds and our hearts constantly. God bless you and keep you wherever you're at. And whatever your circumstances and situations may be. And we pray that our humble exposition of God's word will fill your mind and fill your heart and fill your soul. And live your life in he who is the truth, he who is the word made flesh. And the same goes for all of you folks that are gathered here in the flesh this morning as well. Would you stand please for the reading of the word of the Lord. I trust those of you who are present this morning have noticed, of course, as the first Sunday of every month we here in this uh, humble assembly honor the ancient command to commemorate the sacrifice of He who is the Word made flesh, His sacrifice on our behalf. So I trust you folks have prepared your mind, prepared your heart for obeying that ancient command and commemorating the work of the Son of Man who is lifted up in our behalf. Today we are going to complete not chapter 3. We have a good deal more of chapter 3 to go. But today we complete the most well-known part of the Gospel of John, the most well-known part of the Gospel of John chapter 3 and what is probably, of course, arguably the most famous or well-known passage in all the New Testament and all of the Bible. Let me start from the top of the chapter as I've been doing, and we'll read all the way through, hopefully many of the things that we've unpacked, the things that we've discovered in our journey through this chapter will come to your mind as I read the verses, and of course we will conclude this passage with today's text, verses 19 to 21. And then next week we'll hear from John the Baptizer again. He will complete chapter 3 for us. John chapter 3, in particular today's text, verses 19 to 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. You do not know where it comes from, where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that of which we know. We bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you of the heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Or, pardon me, that whoever believes may in Him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light is come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we pray for the power of your Spirit here in this assembly to bless the teaching and proclamation of your word. Send this Word out, your word, the eternal word, eternal truth of he who is truth to the entire world through our humble efforts. Bless our efforts this morning, O sovereign God. And may everyone who is watching and listening here in the flesh this morning from our community, our country, and those around the world receive this word by the power of the word, by the power of your spirit, being able to translate these words into action in and over their life and receive eternal life from he who is the light, the one and only true light, that came into the world. Please accept our obedience this morning in coming to the table to celebrate, to commemorate, to worship you for the sacrifice of the Word made flesh on our behalf all those centuries ago, and to worship you for what else this table represents, the table in Messiah's kingdom, the wedding feast with Christ and his bride in the future, which will know no end. Thank you for this truth, and thank you for this hope, and thank you for these ultimate realities in you, O Sovereign God. May the meditations of all of our hearts, may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our one and only rock and our Redeemer, you who are the world's only hope, and you who are more than hope enough for one and for all. In Christ Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Little introduction needed here, after working our way through so much of chapter 3 up to this point. So let us proceed straight away into the text, the conclusion of this particular passage. As I mentioned to you before, many scholars believe, and I believe they are justified in doing so, that verses 1 to 15 are in fact the recorded words of the Lord Jesus in this conversation, that fateful night that he had with Nicodemus, one of the premier theologians of the religious establishment in Jerusalem of his day. And many believe that, and there are many telltale signs or reasons to believe that perhaps verses 16 to 21 completing this passage is actually the inspired words of the Apostle John commenting upon this conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus, commenting upon Christ's mission, but also reminding us of the prologue. In fact, verses 19 to 21, he will all but quote the prologue again. And that's one of the reasons why we believe these may be the words of John. Next week, of course, we'll proceed to verse 22, from which we hear 
from John the baptizer again. And it is believed at the very end of chapter 3, after we hear from John the baptizer again, we receive more commentary from John the apostle again, which actually closes chapter 3. Let me read these three verses again, and we will dig down deep into the truth it contains. Pardon me, my, uh, my notes are misbehaving this morning. This is the judgment that the light, or allow me to add, the one who is the light, is come into the world. And men, that is anthropoi, men, women, mankind, humankind, love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were and are, allow me to add, evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. But he who or she who practices the truth comes to the light, comes to he who is light, that their deeds may be manifested as having been wrought, demonstrated, performed, worked in God. Let me offer you this translation as well. By the way, when I, when I offer you uh, another translation after reading from uh, the New American Standard Bible, which I... Uh, tr- customarily use on Sunday mornings. Rest assured, it is a, uh, a translation that is faithful to the original language, to the original Greek. Let me offer you this translation as well. For this then is the verdict. Isn't that interesting? More upon that word in the Greek shortly, but you can justifiably translate that word as verdict. In particular, a guilty verdict. This then is the verdict, the guilty verdict. The one who is the light has come into the world, and fallen humanity loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Let me give you something of a paraphrase summary of verse 19 from the textual notes of the Reformation Study Bible. I believe some of you folks have the Study Bible. Quote, here is the reason for the world's rejection of Jesus. He who is the light. He is the light who exposes whether a person is righteous or not. And this world, allow me to add, this fallen world, loving wickedness, not only hates this exposure, but also hates the one who is light itself, end quote. So here we return to one of the main themes of this gospel. Have you noticed that? Light and darkness. We return to one of the main spiritual themes, theological themes, of John's gospel, light and darkness, in particular spiritual light and spiritual darkness. The light who is God, the light from God, and the darkness of this world, the darkness of wicked human beings, and the darkness of the evil one himself. This should sound familiar to you. We're returning to the prologue. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Isn't it obvious by now? Everything you see and read and encounter through the remainder of this gospel you have to examine through the lens of all of that wonderful truth that was given to us in John's prologue. And so he's reminding us, he or Jesus, these are the words of Christ himself or the words of John, we're being reminded of the truth given to us in the prologue. One of the main themes of the gospel, light and darkness, spiritual light and darkness, the light of God, the light that is God, all that that means. The light who is God, in particular God the Son, the ultimate revelation of God and God's truth to humanity, the one who is to come into the world by divine plan, as opposed to the darkness, 
the darkness of this fallen world, the evil of this fallen world, the evil of our most dangerous enemies, our spiritual enemies, and the evil of fallen humanity. John, or the Lord Jesus, speaks of and describes this world's condemnation. This is the guilty verdict. This is why Christ came into the world, to save some from the just guilty verdict. He deals, or speaks of, or describes this world's condemnation in these terms of light and darkness. And so, from verse 18, let's read verse 18 again quickly. He who believes in him that is believed in the one and only unique Son of God, the Word made flesh, is not judged, will not be judged. He or she who does not believe has been judged already. That's a frightening verse. Because he or she, they, has, have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, the only unique Son of the Father, he who is one with the Father. He who is the Word made flesh, the light, who is to come in to the world. So over against such obstinate, wicked rejection of God, His Son, His plan, His offer of salvation, that we find in verse 18, what do we have? We have therefore a guilty verdict. A verdict of guilty pronounced here in verse 19. And a wicked world may ask, wait, you've got to be kidding me. A person is condemned? Just because they reject Jesus? They don't believe in Jesus? That's right. The guilty of this world may ask, wait a minute, that's not fair. A person is declared to be wicked and guilty just for rejecting Christ? That's what the world asks. The answer is yes, unequivocally, yes. He is the one true living God, the one and the one only, God the Son who in the end, as we say, is absolute and ultimate reality for each and every one of us. Absolute and ultimate reality for everything in this universe and every being in this universe, spirit being or human being, the one and the only, and the one and only source of being restored to the one and only God. Therefore, yes, humanity in their darkness, humanity which is part of the darkness, is declared to be wicked, to be rebellious, and to be guilty for rejecting the Christ, the one and only true light, who was to come into the world by divine plan, to offer salvation to darkened humanity, in order for darkened humanity, some, that is, to escape the darkness, and to live in the light of he who is the light. Yes, a wicked world and guilty humanity is declared to be guilty. The text clearly says so for rejecting the Christ. And this is the judgment, or this is the verdict, the text says. Let me pick that apart for you. Most of you, in, in most of your English translations that you have, it's probably going to say, and this is the judgment. Uh, most English translations, I believe, will still translate as this is the judgment. The word judgment is a very strong and important legal term in Koine Greek, in the first century Greek. It is krisis, the word krisis. And crisis actually means the final decision in a court of law. That's why I believe it would be doing no harm to the text at all if English translators actually translated this as this is the verdict. This is the judgment as in a verdict, a guilty verdict. Crisis means the final decision in a court of law, or as we would say in our time, yes, the final verdict. This is a verdict from the divine judge. A final verdict from the highest of all courts, the cosmic court. 
This is a divine decision or verdict, and that verdict is a guilty one. It is a damning one. It is entirely negative. Here we have the bad news. Yes, we have to give the bad news. If we're going to give the gospel, the full gospel, of the good news of the person and work of the Christ, first of all, we have to give the bad news. And we here in America have been very bad in not giving the bad news first. You're not going to understand and appreciate and appropriate the good news until you understand the bad news. Here is the bad news. All of fallen, sinful, rebellious humanity stands condemned under a just verdict from the just and holy God of guilty for spurning Him, rejecting Him, rebelling against Him, bringing evil into this world, into His creation. But there is hope. There is the good news. There is acquittal. There is exoneration. There is new birth. There is new life. There is an escape from the just judgment of God. And that is by way of the light, He who is the light, who was to come into the world by divine plan and divine decree. Christ came to save us from this verdict, this just verdict of guilty. Next phrase, let's unpack or examine. That the light has come into this world. That's one of the most magnificent things that has ever happened in the history of this world. That He who is the light, the Creator, Redeemer, God, made a personal visitation by divine plan into this world. He invaded His own creation to perform the greatest mis rescue mission ever performed in history. You could just as well translate this as that He who is the light, the one who is the light has come into this world. Real space, real time, real history in Palestine, the time of the Roman Empire in the first century A.D. The light came into the world, and that light has not been extinguished in spite of the raging of the darkness from that time to this. And he who is the light, the personification of all light, the source of all light, he's coming back. He's going to make a personal visitation once again. And this time when He returns, the judgment will come once and for all and forever. And the new heaven and the new earth comes that our dear brother the Apostle John prophesies. And things are going to radically change forever at this next personal visitation which we look forward to. So the light has come into the world. Sound familiar to you? It should. As I mentioned before, we're right back at the truth that's given to us in the prologue. The light coming into the world. Let's read from the prologue. Let's, uh, if you want to, go with me, page or two back to chapter one, and we'll read through the prologue briefly. The light who is coming into the world is the main theme of, of the prologue, verses one to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was what? Was the light of mankind. The light who is coming into the world. The light prophesied and planned to come into the world. There you have it. And the light, He who is the light, shines in the darkness. The darkness of this fallen world. And the darkness did not comprehend it, appreciate it, understand. He who was the light who came into the world to shine His light in the darkness and drive away the darkness, confront the darkness. Verse 6, now we go back to John the baptizer, who we'll hear from next week. <clears throat> there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness, what? Of the light. Of the light, who he who is the light. 
that all might believe through him. He, that is John the baptizer, was not the light himself, but he came that he might bear witness of the light, bear witness of he who is the light coming into the world. There was the true light, which coming into the world, sound familiar? It's verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 3. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Folks, that's the new birth that Jesus is teaching in chapter 3. To become children of God, even those who believe in his name. And I hope you remembered last week's definition of what it truly means to believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is verse 19. The light coming into the world. And we beheld His glory, His light. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, verse 19 in chapter 3, we're reminded of the prologue. Now, as to this guilty verdict that we receive in this text... Uh, this text, especially in the original Greek, um, it implies that this divine verdict is not an arbitrary one. It's not a quick one. This divine verdict was very carefully considered. This case was a very carefully examined one. This guilty verdict, you get the impression from the original Greek, is actually something of an ongoing divine judicial process that is very carefully considered. And on Judgment Day, as the New Testament, as all of sacred scripture tells us, on the final Judgment Day, as we say, the final sentence of that divine verdict will be carried out. The light, or the one who is the light, has come into the world. Now let's examine that phrase in particular. What is this? Well, it should be fairly obvious, self-evident, isn't it? isn't it? The light who is to come into the world, or the one who is the light, has come into the world. Well, this is simply a statement of the incarnation of God, the incarnation of Christ, the infleshing of the divine Son, the Word who became flesh to come into the world, to confront the darkness and perform His atoning work, His atoning mission. This is Jesus, obviously, the Christ. He Himself, personally, is the light. He is the light that was to come into the world and that has come into the world. And so he who is the light has come into the world and that light shone out in the darkness of this world. And now by way of his word, his gospel, his truth, and his redeemed people, his light thereby is still shining out in the darkness of this world. And that's why the darkness of this world hates the light. And you encounter the animosity, the animus, and the hostility of this darkened world and those who are of the darkness against the light and those who are of the light and the message of the light. Jesus will later say, I am the light of the world. In one of the great I am sayings, he is saying, I am the great I am who spoke to Moses in the desert out of the burning bush. I am the Lord of history. I am the Lord of creation. And I have come in personal visitation in the flesh as prophesied long ago. I am the I am in the flesh. Therefore, I am the one and only true light, the ultimate revelation of God and God's truth, who is to come into the world. He is, here's another of the great themes of the 
the Gospel of John. Jesus the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, He is the ultimate revelation of God to humanity. He is the ultimate revealer of divine truth to humanity, the light. He is the ultimate embodiment of holiness, thereby the light. He is the ultimate embodiment of truth and purity and all of God's attributes. Therefore, He is the one and true light. I am the light of the world. It's the most wonderful personal visitation of God to this planet in history. And the next most wonderful one is on its way. Pray God perhaps sooner than we may think. And so have you noticed... In carefully examining what's happening here, I took you back to the prologue. The prologue mentions the darkness of this world. The prologue describes somewhat the darkness of this world. But look here in verse 19. What does verse 19 do? Verse 19 actually goes away in explaining the darkness of this world, why this world is dark. As the text says, uh, and in the, we usually translate it in the masculine, and men love the darkness. You can translate that as mankind, humankind, memory serves me correct, anthropoi uh, in the Greek, men and women. Men and women, fallen humanity, love the darkness rather than the light for or because their deeds were evil. Now let's take this into the present tense because this truth has not changed one bit. This is just as true now as it was in the first century A.D. when Christ the Word made flesh first arrived. Let me read it to you in the present tense. Men and women, all of fallen humanity, love the darkness rather than the light of he who is the light because their deeds are evil. It is just as true now as it was in the first century A.D. And I don't think I have to work very hard at convincing you of that. I can tell by a few nods already and the expression on your faces. This world manifests its darkness, Jesus or the Apostle John is telling us under inspiration of the Spirit. The darkness manifests, the world manifests its darkness, manifests or demonstrates its darkness, its spiritual darkness, its evil, its rebellion. By what? By self-love. Self-love, self-worship. All fallen sinful human beings want to pull God off of His throne and take their place on His throne. That's the fundamental, foundational, core heart of the issue. Human sin, human darkness, human rebellion. It's motivated by self-love, selfishness, self-worship. And all of these things, what? All of these things necessarily have to exclude God. For God, who is absolute and ultimate reality, He who is the source of all things, the creator of all things, therefore He is the meaning and purpose of all things, He should be loved above all. He should be worshipped, He and He alone and worshipped above all. And He should be obeyed and honored at all times by His human creatures who were originally created to bear His image and His nature and His character, and enjoy Him and His world that He created, and glorify Him forever. And so it was true, when He who is the embodiment of the love of God came into the world, He who is the light came into the world, what happened at that time in particular? The world was always dark since the fall of our first parents. But when Jesus, He who is the light, came into the world, oh my, what a contrast! The world really saw itself in contrast with He who is the light itself and the source of all light. When Jesus, He who was the light, came into the world, the darkness saw itself for what it really is. By contrast, it is only in the light of He who is the light that fallen humanity could and can really see 
that fallen humanity is indeed in the darkness and part of the darkness. This is still the case. It's a terrifying but necessary and foundational truth, this verdict that's given to us here in chapter 3. Fallen human beings prefer to live without any knowledge of or particularly any acknowledgement of God, the God who is. Thus, the guilty verdict. And in the end, the end, as we say, He, God, He cannot and He will not be denied or ignored. In the end, as we say. Fallen humanity prefers to live in sin. That's what John's Gospel has been telling us. Prefers to live in sin, immorality, selfish, self-worshipping ambition, not in the moral purity of God. And as this verse clearly states, the reason is fundamentally a moral and a spiritual one, isn't it? The heart of the issue, the core of the issue, it is fundamentally a moral one and it is a spiritual one. Their deeds were and their deeds are evil. There you have it. There's the explanation. Now let's look at deeds were evil. The word deeds in the original Greek is ergon. E-R-G-O-N, ergon. It means to work, uh, one's actions while working. Yes, you can translate it as a person's deeds. Deeds as in labor, work, one's acts, one's actions. What one habitually does in one's life. The actions that one habitually performs in one's particular lifestyle. Uh, let me put it this way. Ergon can refer to actions which characterize what a person really is. Actions which characterize a person. Evil is a very, very strong word in the original Greek. It's poneros, which I've, we do accurately translate as evil, a very strong word in the English. Poneros means evil or wrongdoing. It means that which is malicious, that which is morally perverse, that which is morally or spiritually destructive to oneself and to others, that which is bad, harmful, corrupt, all of this describes the habitual actions of fallen mankind, which characterizes those who are in and of the darkness, thereby the guilty verdict. It's always been the case. Pick up a history book. Pick up an objective history book. This truth has always been the case. But dare I say... All the more so in these contemporary times of ours. Once again, I don't think I have to convince you of the truth expressed in this verse. Evil's always been present. It's always been a dark world since the fall. It's always been obvious. We should always take it seriously. But if you observe history, you will see that evil sort of ebbs and flows like the coming in of a tide and the receding of the tide. It's very interesting. And now, obviously, we have something of a high tide of evil in this country and in our culture. Jesus, the Word made flesh, the true Christ of this gospel, the true Christ of sacred scripture, he always exposes the darkness and the evil. He always confronts the darkness and the evil. His Word, if accurately and actually taught and proclaimed, always confronts and exposes darkness and the evil. And those of you who are recipients of the new birth 
who have His light shining in the core of your soul. If you are letting your light shine before men, as Jesus says on another occasion, you are thereby, by virtue of that fact, you are going to be exposing and confronting the darkness and evil of this world. This is what you should be doing. D.A. Carson writes in his commentary, They, fallen humanity, were not willing to live by the truth. They value their pride, their ego, their hubris more than contrite faith before the Almighty God. Worse yet, anyone in this camp actually hates the light, according to the text, and refuses to come to it, for they fear that they will be exposed. They will be shamed. They will be convicted in a final judgment that they don't wish to believe in. Let me give you something of a paraphrase of these verses from William Hendrickson's commentary. It's a wonderful old commentary. I've really been enjoying well, I've been enjoying all of these wonderful commentaries, some uh, fairly recent. I'll work through this last paragraph that he gives as something of a, a paraphrase, summary, or explanation of these verses. He does an excellent, excellent job of it. Now, with respect to those who reject the only begotten one, the one and only unique Son of the Father, this is the divine verdict upon them, that the Christ, He who is Himself the divine light, He who is Himself the very embodiment of all truth, the embodiment of the love of God, the embodiment of, yes, all of God's attributes, He, by means of the word of Scripture, and especially by means of His own enfleshing, His own incarnation, He came into the realm of fallen mankind. But though some accepted Him, the majority preferred the moral and spiritual darkness of sin. In fact, they actually loved this darkness. And the reason was not that they were ignorant, having never heard of God, having never known of God, having never imagined anything of God, having never heard of God or His gospel, but rather this, the works of their lives were and are evil. End quote. That's exactly what he's saying. And that is a terrifying thing. What is he saying? He's saying that fallen humanity worships their evil actions, worships their evil ambitions, worships their evil deeds, worships their evil lifestyles, worships their evil behavior. That is their God. That in themselves, rather than the one true living God who is, and who cannot and will not in the end be denied. They worship their evil actions, their evil lifestyles, rather than God. This brings me to say something very important this morning that I believe I mentioned a Tuesday night ago or so. There is no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. That's what this verse is teaching us. There is no such thing as spiritual neutrality. There is no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. Human beings were made, originally created, to worship God. That is how, pardon me for using this expression, human beings are hardwired in the mind, in the heart, the soul. Human beings are made to worship something, not a something, a someone. God, the Creator God. He was absolute and ultimate reality. All human beings were made to worship Him. And if human beings refuse to worship Him, human beings will worship somebody or something else. That is fact. As the sunlight streaming through this window is fact. The atheist and the agnostic, pardon me for being blunt, they are liars. I don't believe in any God. Oh, yes, you do. Likely is not that God is yourself. 
Same with all the other agnostics and everyone else who claims that there is no God. They don't believe in a God. They don't believe in any spirituality. Oh, yes, they do. They're lying to themselves. They're lying to you. And I dare say if you spend enough time around them, watching them and listening to them, you're going to be able to identify who their pagan god or gods are. Everyone is going to worship God or you're going to worship yourself. You're going to worship the true God or you're going to worship a false god. There is no spiritual vacuum, folks. There is no such thing as spiritual neutrality. We're going to worship God. Or according to this text, we're going to worship our evil actions, our evil ambitions, our evil deeds, our evil behaviors. Verse 20, For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Now that's a frightening verse. You hear a lot of people say, oh, well, I, I, I mean, I, I don't hate Christianity. I don't hate Christians. I, 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 don't, I don't hate this Jesus. I mean, I just don't believe in him. I, I just don't believe, he, believe he's God. You know they're lying. This verse says they're lying. They're lying to themselves. They're lying to you. What does the verse say? For everyone who does evil hates the light. Hates the light of he who is the light. And does not come to the light Otherwise, their evil deeds will be exposed. Let me offer you this translation. For whoever is in the habit of practicing what is evil hates the light, and so does not come to the light. The reason for this is that they fear their evil deeds will be exposed. Such a person, as this verse describes, is always avoiding, always running from, always hiding from, always opposing the light. Always trying to rationalize and explain away evil. Always trying to normalize evil. In other words, they want nothing to do with he who is the light, as the verse clearly states. He who is the ultimate revelation of the embodiment of God. The ultimate revelation of God's truth, God's moral purity, God's justice, God's love. If they are seen in the light of he who is the light, then what does the text tell us? They naturally, therefore, will be exposed for who and what they really are. In their dark hearts and their dead souls, they really do hate the light, as much as they may try to convince you otherwise. And dare I say, this is more obvious now than ever before in my lifetime. I've been in this troubled world, what, about 57 years now? And I may be wrong, God help me. But I believe this is more obvious from my point of view to me. It's more obvious now than ever before in my lifetime. They hate the light, they hate he who is the light, because their deeds are evil and they do not wish to be called upon or exposed for who and what they really are. Dear God, help us, is that obvious in these times? I refer to William Hendrickson again in his commentary. He doesn't pull any punches in condemning evil humanity. He writes, This text paints an ugly picture, does it not? This text paints a picture of such people as being like loathsome insects that hide themselves beneath the earth, beneath logs, beneath stones, always preferring the darkness and terribly afraid of being exposed to the true light. He is right to a degree. He is certainly right. It is a grim picture.
but a grim picture that he who is the word made flesh came to save us from. Praise God. Again, it's a frightening fundamental reason, isn't it? That those of the darkness will not recognize the light because they, those who are part of the darkness, hate the light. Now, why the hate? Why the hate? Why the hate? He gives you the reason for that. Again, the world is... This hatred is rooted in self-worship, pride, arrogance, hubris, love of evil habits, love of evil lifestyles, love of evil actions, love of evil ambitions, wanting to replace God and be your own little God, wanting to replace God over the lives of other people. Right? We're suffering now in this country from people who think they have the right and certainly have the ambition to play God over you and me and everyone and everything in this world. That will not do. It will not do. It will not do. It's all rooted in self-worship, pride, arrogance, love of evil habits, ambitions, lifestyles, all the rest. And they do not want what they really are exposed. Without the light of he who is the light, the darkness feels comfortable. The darkness feels safe. The darkness feels contented. The darkness feels normal. The darkness feels as if that judgment isn't going to come after all. But in reality, as we learned in last week's text, a very frightening text, those of the darkness stand condemned already. The guilty verdict is already in, folks. It's not can't be perpetually postponed until the end of time and then some. Evil humanity is already under the guilty verdict. As the text has clearly told us, they stand condemned already awaiting the final sentence to be carried out. A fundamental truth that the New Testament and the Old Testament gives us as well is this. And John in particular is giving us this here in this Gospel. To refuse to come to He who is the light. To refuse to acknowledge He who is the light. Folks, that's the heart and core of the matter. That's the root of all evil. That is the true essence of evil. To refuse to come to He who is the light. To refuse to acknowledge He who is the light. That is the true essence and source of all darkness, of all evil, of all rebellion that you see, that you hear in this world. Verse 21, our concluding verse for this passage. Concluding verse for the day. Now please pay close attention, you who are of the light. You who are recipients of the new birth. You who will in a few minutes come to this table with worship and with gratitude and with joy. You who are saved from the judgment and have been given eternal life in Ionion Zoane, the life which is beyond all ages and ages, the perfect life, the transcendent life which knows no end. Here is the good news. You're here in verse 21. First the bad news, now the good news. Praise God. Magnificent good news. The best news any human being has ever heard or ever will hear. But he or she who is in the habit of doing what is true, who does the truth, who lives the truth, as I like to say, translates the truth of God into action in your life, that person comes to the light. And that person comes to the light in order that his or her deeds... Their habitual actions, the actions that characterize them, may be made manifest or demonstrated as having actually been accomplished in God. That's fantastic. That's the good news. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So here now we have the sharpest of all contrasts, don't we? A very sharp, a very stark contrast 
with those of the darkness, with those of verse 20. Those spoken of in verse 21, well, I hope that's you. I hope and pray that's you. I hope and pray that's you. Those spoken of in verse 21 are obviously those who believe in the name of the one and only unique Son of God. Are those who believe in and have come to the Son of Man who was lifted up. Those in verse 21 are those who, according to Jesus, are born again from above by water and the Spirit. Those who will not be condemned in the final judgment. So rather than avoiding or rather than opposing the light of he who is the light, the person who does the truth, that's very interesting that we translate from the original Greek. A person who has come to the Son of Man for forgiveness and for life, a person who has received the new birth from above, does truth. <laughs> it's very interesting in English. A doer of truth. Now what does that mean? Uh, it means a person who lives out the truth in what you do in your life. Every day, the actions that characterize you should characterize the truth, should reflect the nature and character of God, His truth. You should be a living manifestation of all that the light of God means and represents and how that is lived out, demonstrated, manifested, worked out in the life of a redeemed human creature who is to bear the image of God. Um, to do the truth, uh, let me use another old uh, catchphrase of mine, to live the truth means you are translating the Word of God into action in and through and over your life. And so at the judgment, when you arrive at the judgment, your actions will have been proven to have actually been accomplished by God. God working in and through and over your life. That's what the verse, the verse means. So, those who aren't condemned in the judgment, you don't avoid you don't oppose the light. The one who does the truth pursues truth, embraces the light, embraces the truth, loves the light, loves the truth, puts into action the truth from he who is the truth, the source of all true truth. That, is, that person thereby comes to and is always moving towards the light. If you are this kind of person, you live your life in the light. You live your life in the light. You dwell in the light. You live in the light. You live with he who is the light. You remain in the light of he who is the light. And all that the light means. The one who believes, the one who is born again, putting chapter 3 all together, is the one who comes to the light, has eternal life, and thereby escapes the judgment at the end of history, at the end of the divine plan, as we know it. Let me quote dear old... Dr. D.A. Carson, he writes, Those who hate the light simply follow their natural course because their deeds are evil. Those who love the truth, love the light of God, of Christ, now follow their natural course because of the new birth. And not because their deeds are inherently righteous, but because they long to show that their deeds have been done through the truth, through the power, through the approval of God. Thank you, Dr. Carson. That's what's meant here, to do the truth. To have a desire to show that the actions of your life have actually been done through the truth of God, through the power of God, God the Spirit, and with the full approval of God. That's what the text is telling us. So the recipient of the new birth, 
who comes to he who is light, that person desires to show that his or her actions, deeds, though not perfect in the here and now, that's coming. One day your actions will truly be perfect in the next life. But in the here and now, if you're truly born again, you'll be the type of person who desires to show that God is working and acting in and through the actions of your life. That God is working in and through your life, your very life, the way you live your life, what you do with your life. And yes, pray God, on the day of days, our actions will be proven to have done, been done in principle according to God's truth, God's light. And so you and I, if we are true recipients of the new birth, we should be living lives that are characterized by this. That our actions reflect and mirror the nature and character of God. Our actions are to be an expression of God's light and God's truth. To do the light, or to do the truth, pardon me, to do the truth is what? To live in the light. To live in the light is to do the truth. One and the same. Now, something of a summary of what is said here in contrast. The evildoer is and will be exposed, will be shamed, will be condemned by the light. The believer, the one who is born anew from above, embraces the light and is embraced by the light and so escapes exposure and shame and condemnation on the last day. The evildoer only wants to embrace themselves. The one who believes, the one who has been born anew, embraces Christ, embraces He who is the Word made flesh, embraces the light of Christ, and so will forever enjoy the lasting embrace of God Himself. The actions of the evildoer reflect who and what they really are. The actions of the one born anew reflects who God is. Don't forget that. The actions of the one who is born anew reflects who God is. You shouldn't talk about yourself personally, but I will say this. On one of the greatest days of my life, a lot of people would look upon as one of the great crises of my life, physically, when I was pretty tore up in that car wreck years ago that should have killed me. And this reminds me, the still small voice said on the inside, show them who I am. Tell them who I am. You show them who I am. Isn't that interesting? The actions of the one who is born anew, no matter what is happening to you, should always reflect who God is. The actions of the one born anew should always be proven to have been performed and accomplished actually by God, by the presence of the Spirit of God. For the born-again life, as Jesus said, is from above. It is all wrapped up. It is all summed up. It is all rooted in He who is above. Let me give you a short quote from Edward Klink, a wonderful theologian who's written a fairly recent commentary on the Gospel of John. Very good one. I will give you something of his summary of 19 to 21. He makes a couple of very good observations. He writes, <clears throat> It is for the reasons given in these verses 
that Christ is frightening and repulsive to those of the darkness. But he is beautiful, he is magnificent, he is attractive to those who believe. He is frightening and repulsive to those of the darkness because he represents God's justice and God's holiness. And he demands a full acknowledgement of our true sin-laden lives. Yet Christ is beautiful, he is magnificent, he is attractive to the believer because he offers pardon, he offers a new birth, he offers a new life, eternal life. This new birth, it is so new, it is so radical, it is so different, it is so alien that it can only come from God Himself. The attractive takes away what is considered repulsive by those of the darkness. This does not mean in this life that the Christian in this life is able to disassociate from sin. Not yet. That day is coming. But in this life for the Christian, sin is now totally different. It is exposed for what it really is. And Jesus Christ our Lord came into this world to save the believer from sin. In the light of Christ, sin, darkness becomes repulsive, something to avoid. The light of Christ drives away the darkness. Once exposed to the light, darkness becomes a place of the curse, not blessing. Ultimately then, doing the truth is a response to the love of God, which motivated the mission of the Son of Man, the Word made flesh, He who is Himself the light. To do the truth is truly to believe. To do the truth, to truly believe, is to be born again from above. End quote. These things have been written so that you may believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of Man, the Word made flesh, the one true light who has come into the world. And that by believing you may have life and this light in His name. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of this wonderful passage, this wonderful chapter, this wonderful gospel. We pray, O Holy Spirit, living God, do your work through the proclamation of your word to rescue those who are in darkness and bring them to light and to life, to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God and all that that means, to be exonerated from the judgment, to be freed from ourselves and from this evil world around us, to enjoy you, to glorify you forever, and to enjoy an existence in the real world, the world that is coming, the perfect world, the holy world, which knows no end. Bless the proclamation of this word, O sovereign God. It is to you we dedicate it all. To you we give all of our thanks and all of our gratitude and all of our worship for who and what you are and for what you have done. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. To prepare for the Lord's table.